What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. Hello. Nice to meet you, sir. Hello. That is the vo- My name's Stuart Wright, and that's the voice of Sean Cronin, uh, best known for uh, playing villains, I think it's safe to say, Sean, in, uh, uh, unfortunately, in a few books. Unfortunately, I look a bit like a villain, so I, I tend to get typecast. My girlfriend threw an ashtray at me before she left me with two very small children and gave me a nice little scar under my right eye, which... And fantastically, I went for a casting to play the Scarface villain in the High <laughs> Bond commercial the next day and got the job. So <laughs> I never stopped to thank her, you know, as she walked out of the door. Now, look, we, we, we've come together to talk about you as a filmmaker and, and, and about your acting, but ostensibly to talk about a film you've got coming into production called Give Them Wings. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis about what that is? Give Them Wings is a kind of semi-biopic of a fantastically inspirational guy called Paul Hodgson. Paul was uh, contracted childhood meningitis at 11 and was told he would never move or speak. Uh, And he does both of those things. He is, you know, he is in a wheelchair and he is mostly paralysed. Mm. When I first met him and he asked me to direct a little film for him called An Unfortunate Woman, which is another true story about disability, which I did for him and and, um, it won some awards and it's a great little film. But Paul said to me, he goes, I can't move much, but I can hold a pint. And then he sort of just gesticulates how he can get a beer um, down his neck. And the funniest thing is, um, Paul, there's another great scene in the film where he, he pulls this girl and he gets, back, gets her back to this hotel. He goes, look, I can make love to you, but you're going to have to carry me up the stairs. This guy, <laughs> this guy has just got an incredible sense of humour. He's been dealt this awful deck of cards, and it's like nothing's ever happened to him. He's the happiest, funniest, wittiest, most intelligent guy you can ever hope to meet. So it was kind of that kind of dark humour and, and the tenacity and the, the, the lust for life that he has that made me want to direct this film. Um, when he first gave me the script, it was a bit of a kind of claustrophobic 
kind of TV docudrama. So we totally rewrote it together, me and him, um, with our executive producer, a guy called Tony Waddington. Tony okay. Waddington is a very famous songwriter. He wrote Sugar Baby Love and What's New Pussycat and all those stuff. Did he really? Uh, I was yeah. He's a, he's a, <laughs> if you look up Tony Waddington, he's a, he's a really cool guy. He's, he's in his 70s now. But he's got the Midas touch. And he just said, look, this film needs some, a real feel-good. Um, you know, it needs, it needs a proper cinematic ending. It needs to come out of, out of a cupboard. And now it's a really great, it's still the same story, but it's got a kind of almost slightly fantasy feel-good ending, which I can't give away, but it's a great, it's a really, really great piece. Uh, we're very close to getting it financed now. I'm just doing the final tweaks to the script now before we submit it again to the, um, the financiers. But it's, it's a wonderful film. It's the sort of film that will win hearts and minds. So you don't have to say, what well, you know, you don't need named talent in there like you do with many films. If you haven't got named talent, you can't get distribution, etc., etc. But this kind of follows in the footsteps of films like uh, Billy Elliot, The Full Monty Meets My Left Foot. Uh, meets an incredible French film called Untouchables, which, uh, although it was a very low-budget film about disability, went on to do 400 million at the box office. So it's got a lot of potential, this film, and Paul really is just, he's just such an inspiration. He's just, I mean, he comes down to stay with me once a month and and we work on on, on the script and, and, you know, how we're going to sell the film, et cetera, et cetera. And we always have such a good laugh. I mean, he drinks a bit too much, which is quite funny, but but he's a very funny guy, very funny guy. And ostensibly, the, the, the story you're telling is is of of him being is it bullied by his father and then choosing to leave home despite the disability and then it's yeah I mean he he left home he couldn't get a job and eventually got a job and it's kind of about him you know getting his father to accept him because his father was very disappointed he really wanted a son he was very old fashioned he wanted a strong son and and when Paul kind of you know came out wrong he was very um. I mean, in the in the real story, his father still is a bit difficult now, but eventually he did accept him, and Paul's gone on to achieve so much. He's written books, he's an award-winning producer. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of that story. It's also about, you know finding love and and, and, and just winning in life when you, when, you, when you really shouldn't be, you know well look, let's let's rewind the clock a second then. so you're you're you're, you're originally sort of. Entry into film is as an actor, yeah. Is that am I right? Well, basically, I got stopped on the Portobello Road about fifteen or sixteen years ago, and, yeah. and someone said, "You look really evil. Do you want to be in the Mummy?" And I <laughs> found my, I found myself painted gold, shaved from head to foot, wearing a nappy down at Shepperton Studios, and where you know on the on the first uh, instalment of the Mummy. And it's such an amazing buzz when you're on a film of that size. Um, Hang on, I'm just plugging my phone in. When you're on a film of that size, and you, they built ancient Egypt down at Shepparton, and I just got the bug. And I sat there watching a, a famous DOP, God rest his soul, he died a few years ago, called Adrian Biddle. Okay. And, you know, all the other kind of, all the other priests, all the other gold priests were all sitting in the green room waiting for their sandwiches. And I just sat very quietly behind the direction of the DOP and kind of watched what they did. And, and I got the bug. And then I got a, a part in Bond and, and it kind of went from strength to strength. And, um, you know, I was kind of background to start with and I kind of moved to the front. But all the time I was just fascinated by the process of filmmaking and the fact that, you know, when all those people are on set, they're all trying to achieve one goal. Everyone's working to the same end. Mm. And you get this amazing feeling of camaraderie and everybody's trying to make something wonderful. And it's just it's a great, great buzz. 
I love playing villains. I'm, I mean, I've just uh, finished a, re- uh, a month-long stint with Tom Cruise on Mission Impossible 5. Very nice. Uh, playing a secret role, which I can't divulge, but, you know, I had a lot of screen time on that, which is great, coming out in July. Um, and I've just been signed up for a film called Kill Kane um, with Vinnie Jones. And uh, ironically, Vinnie is not the villain in this. I'm the villain. Oh, okay. and, and he's the good guy. But it's um, that starts shooting in about oh, about 10 days' time. I'm shooting that for a couple of weeks. Can I, ask, can I ask you, you make, like you say, you, you're, you're probably, any, any drama student listening to this is going to be like, he's going to be thinking, so that's it. Then I walk down Portobello Road and somebody spots me. So <laughs> to get into the movies. What, what it doesn't you... really obviously. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, I'm joking. That, that was that was kind of an extra role, but it, it got me. It gave me the zest because my. Background but I was going to say, can I? I mean, is, what is there any active background to you before then, or did you? Did no, you I mean, I was, in, I was in a band for ten or fifteen years called the Marionettes, and we did a world tour with Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and that taught me how to never be nervous. Okay. Uh, to stand in front of you know thousands of people and just just you know show off basically, um, but obviously. Then I, I went to the New York Film School, studied cinematography. Um, um, I've, I've never actually studied acting, but um, I, and ironically, there was a short spell, uh, spell a few years ago when I actually taught it. But you learn, and it's with many trades, you learn the most on the job. Mm. Uh, um, you know, watching other people do their magic, and it's kind of rubbed off on me, and now it just seems to come a second nature. Unfortunately, I, I'm a bit of an ugly geezer, so I tend to get lots of villain roles, but I can't I can't complain. It's a great niche, uh, and everyone loves a villain. There's, there's always a villain in most films, so it's great fun. But if you like, I'm a closet period drama director. As well as Give Them Wings, I'm directing a lovely period drama set in the 1850s in the shadow of the Crimean War called Iron Gate, yeah. which we've shot a wonderful teaser for and that should be going into production just after we're hoping that Give Them Wings is going to go all you know with or God willing in June and then hopefully Iron Gate will go in September October so two great two so, great so when, when you were at New York studying film studying cinematography and stuff what were what were the kind of um, main sort of rungs on the ladder as it were in your film education you got from having that kind of formal environment it's just learning about how to light cinematically how you know what lenses to use framing and just learning how I mean I try and make every frame a Rembrandt if every frame looks wonderful then you know you're onto a good thing of course you need great a great script great actors great performances but it's also about making it look like cinema and that's what I love to do is just to make things look beautiful uh, it takes a long time and you know everyone thinks the film business is glamorous it's not it's very 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 hard work you're up at the crack of dawn you finish at three in the morning um you know it's it's very demanding business but it's the it's the most fulfilling and rewarding business i I think i've ever been in because because every day you meet someone different you're doing something different you meet different people uh and and you know it's it's just it's so creative the business side of it can be a little bit ugly at times because of uh, you know, say so you can't make a film until you've made a film. You can't really get a film financed unless you've got named talent. So you have to lie to the talent to tell them you've got the money, and then you lie to the money and say you've got the talent, and then one of them will give, uh, and you kind of move forward. But it's it, it's getting easier now. 
I've won a few awards for, for directing and cinematography. So people start to take you a bit more seriously. But it's a very, very hard road. But it's, you know, it's one of those things. If you don't, if you don't try, you will not succeed. And if you continue to try, and if you, you know, for me, but money is the byproduct of excellence. So if you do something well, ultimately you will succeed. You know, it's just about getting it right and, and, and enjoying it while you do it, you know. What, when you were... When you were having your sandwich sat behind the, the cinematographers and the and the directors on set in those early years, what do you think? It, what do you think you picked up that's been a, been valuable to this day? Again, it was just watching how you know you just stick a subject in a room, and you can move a light around somebody's face, hmm. and their face will change a thousand times as you move it to different positions. So you can make someone look, you know, you put a light underneath someone, you can make them look like Dracula, but you light them from the side and they look like James Dean. You light them from the top and they look like, you know, um, a supermodel. It's, it's, it's amazing what you can do just with a couple of lights. Uh, and also uh, b- about learning about depth of field and how to make things, you know, get a lovely shallow depth of field so you get uh, a beautiful detailed background going slightly out of focus and you bring that subject to the front. And it's just learning about, I mean, Adrian Biddle was one of the best DOPs I've ever seen. It was just incredible because you'd, you'd look at it in the room and you'd think, well, it doesn't look very much. And then you'd sort of sneak behind the cameraman or look at the monitor and you'd say, wow, that's just incredible what, what you can do with a few lights placed in the right place and I just shot a film called The Enforcer the other day and they had no money I had three ARRI 300 lights three tiny lights and it looks fantastic it's just it's just about where you put those lights so that's what I love to do is just is to make a scene look wonderful um, and also you know squeezing performances out of people which is great fun as well sort of giving them Chinese burns when they don't get it right you know? well, I was going to say you you as you were someone in front of the camera what do you think you learned that benefited you when you started to be behind the camera? One of the things that actors always try and do is worry about learning their lines. Uh, and, you know, you watch things like Hollyoaks and it's almost like they're reading off an auto cue. And it's not, just a, it's not so much about learning the lines. It's about becoming that character, becoming that person. It doesn't matter if your lines are wrong, as long as the message is the same. Um, so it's understanding what you're, you know, the character that you're portraying. And sometimes it's the pauses, those pregnant pauses before you deliver your lines that say so much more. So it's, you know, it's about the thought process that goes, goes behind, um, you know, coming out with an emotion. So it's not like, shit, what am I supposed to say now? It's just like, it's, you know, when you, well, I've, I mean, I play villains a lot, but I had to play a, a kind of romantic lead in, in a short film I did for, a, for some friends recently, and I had to cry in it. And I've got this first assistant director going, hurry up, hurry up, we've got to get on with it. Lunch is in. I said, listen, I've got, I'm, I'm about to cry. Will you please shut up and let me get upset? <laughs> and, um, but, I, you know, ultimately I did it, and, and the scene really, really works, and I was really, really upset. So it's about occupying that space. It's kind of method acting. I kind of method act a lot, a bit like Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky. When I go for a casting for a villain, I get seven out of ten of them, which is a very high strike rate. Yeah. But I kind of do do that by making sure, obviously, I learn the part as best I can. But I'm a villain. The moment I walk in, I normally make the receptionist cry on entry and, and frighten her and then frighten everybody. But it, it just works. It's just get into that character and become that person, become that... That, that being and that's kind of what works for me and I think it's what you know what great a lot of great actors do you know so with that in mind then when you're when you're in the director's chair and you're talking to the actors 
what are you what are you doing to get the best out of them then what are you i mean well, that's it's, that... it's just telling them that it's, it's telling them not to worry about you know worrying about regurgitating the lines the great thing about film is you've got you can do another take you can do another take and it's not like being you know on stage at the theater where you've got to learn it all and you've got to get it right mm. you you can take your time with film um and nowadays even more so because we're digital you know, back in the day, um, you're shooting on 35 or 70 mil film. It costs 150 pounds per 15 meters of film, something like that. And the tele, so it was much more expensive to make films. But now you're shooting on Red and Alexa, very, very high res digital cameras. You can go again and again and again and again until you get it right. So it's just really about getting the actors to occupy that space, to be camera aware, and not obviously not to be nervous because there's you know it's sometimes you get very nervous actors, and I just kick everybody off the set and just you know and just leave me and the sound guy in the room and we shoot it. So it's just a question of getting those guys to occupy that space and really live live the character they're portraying, you know. How do, you, how do you find the general collaborative process of making a movie? Because obviously, if you're directing, then somebody's doing your cinematography. Like you say, you've got your sound man, you've got the people setting the lights and stuff. So how, how do you find that process? Because obviously, they're the people working with you. Oh, no, it's always, there's no I in team. It's all about having a great team and people knowing what they're doing. Um, I've done some you know, fairly high-budget stuff and some low-budget stuff. I've done films where I've had to light it um, and, and shoot it. Doing what, I'm very hands-on because I've been, I'm a cinematographer and I own uh, a couple of Red One cameras as well. I actually very often operate the camera if, 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 uh, if, if, you know, if I'm not getting what I want out of the DOP. But more often than not, I have a fantastic team. And it's just about that collaboration, bringing that team together uh, and, and making sure you know, the job gets done properly. And as I say, it's, it's every, every time I've made a film, it's, just, it's not about me. It's about the effort that everybody else puts in uh, together. You know? Now, given you've just said, you said you're, you're a closet period drama man, I'd be fascinated to know um, sort of where where you take your director lead from. You know, who who what filmmaker excites you to make films? Then what is it? Where are you? Um, I mean, I love I, I do love gangsters. I love Scorsese. Um, uh, I've got many many directors, but I was really inspired. The reason I got this period drama, Tony Waddington, who wrote Sugar Baby Love and and rewrote with me Give Them Wings, came up with this period drama Iron Gate and. Um, he just really inspired me. That one, you know, the way we are nowadays, the world doesn't look as beautiful as it did then. Back in the day, in the 1850s, I mean, that, that's, uh, if, uh, when we finish, I'll send you a link to the teaser we've shot for it. Okay. It's, um, just uh, people used to dress very differently, horses and carriages, or the, the decorations were, were beautiful. So, uh, I mean, I, I just love period drama. I love history. I find it very, very interesting. But Scorsese probably is one of my most, one of my contemporary um, favourite directors. I also love Ridley Scott. I love the fact that he's, I mean, he's a bit like me. He's very, he's very anal. I mean, on Blade Runner, everyone wanted to kill him because he was just saying, no, 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 it's not right. It's not right. And, and he didn't have all the um, special effects that you have now. And the way that he made Blade Runner look back in those days, because a lot of that stuff on Blade Runner, it's not special effects. Those were sets. They built all of that. Yeah. Um, and it was an incredible uh, achievement. I mean, obviously, he's gone on to do amazing stuff. So, yes, Scorsese, Ridley Scott. Um, Can I ask you, what, what, how, does, how does that, you, you compared yourself to Ridley Scott in the sense of being anal, how does that manifest itself in your work? Um, 
I mean, sometimes the actors want to kill me because you know, we, we're supposed to rap at six and I haven't quite got the shot and I know I haven't got it. Mm. I'm saying, look, guys, sorry, but I'm afraid we're going to have to go over by about 15 hours. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's about making great bits of cinema and sometimes it takes, a, a, you know, it's, it's not a quick process to get things right. You can knock it out quickly and, 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 and come up with something satisfactory, but I'm not about that. It's about, it's about perfection. It's about making a really beautiful piece of cinema that's going to stand up uh, for time. And it's just, you know, I, I mean, I remember we were shooting Unfortunate Woman. Unfortunate Woman is a true story of a lady called Kathleen Mumford, who in 1938 smothered her own child because he had cerebral palsy. Wow. And back in those days, if you had a disabled child at five years old, if it couldn't go to a normal school, the child would be institutionalized and invariably left to rot. And this child was inert. He couldn't move at all. He had no life. And, and she chose to, to put him out of his misery, basically. And we're on a set in Beamish, a fantastic Victorian village up in um, Durham. And uh, the security guard goes... She's just about to smother her child. This is, this is the award-winning scene. It's a very emotional scene. And the security guy, the, the, he goes, I've got to go on for me tea, like, you know. I said, I said, mate, I said, mate, I'm just about to smother a child. This is an award-winning piece. He goes, I don't care. I'm going on for me tea. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, I didn't do a Jeremy Clarkson quite, but I said to him, dude, I'm, I'm going to have to gaffer tape you to the wall if you don't behave yourself. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, we had to cross his palms with silver to get it done. But it's just, you know, I know if I haven't got the shot and it's just it's just about it's not being anal. It's just about being a perfectionist. But you've got to get the shot. That's what it's all about. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Now, given, uh, given you're in the process of building up to give them wings, do you, I mean, just, just rewinding on that process a little bit, do you want to give us an insight into, I mean, you said you've already done some work with um, with Paul before, Um what was the process of that script coming to life and becoming something you're going to direct? And it sounds like what you've said is you're also involved in writing. The, the well, I, I often get scripts and people ask me to direct things. I mean, I've got actually, it's crazy. I've got about 20 films now in development that people have asked me to direct, which is fantastic. I mean, it's just, the problem is it's an enormous amount of work. The pre-production is it's just phenomenal. But I often get scripts that are not shooting scripts. People don't often write to shoot. And I, I can take a scene and go, well, in order to create that scene properly, this is the kind of coverage that you're going to need. So when he gave me the script for Unfortunate Woman, although it was nicely written, um, there was no, um, it wasn't written to shoot. So I spent a couple of weeks going through, going through it with him, rewriting it, and and I planned my. I don't, you know, I'm quite organic on the day, and things will will just kind of happen magically. But you have to make sure that the, the the script is a proper shooting script, so that you know when you go into onto set that. I mean, obviously, I, I do spend a long time, but you need to make sure that, you know, you don't have the, the location forever. So you have to be able to get it out of the way, uh, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. And then, um, you know, and working with Paul on that and then physically going up and, and making this film was it was a real joy. It was very, very hard because when you're on low budgets, you know, you, you've only got the location for two days and you really need it for five so you have to cram an awful, um, uh, an awful lot into, into very, very long days to make cinema. What I noticed about being on Mission Impossible 
was, you know, it's a proper uh, huge budget. Um, uh, and, you know, you start at eight, you get picked up in a nice car. It's wonderful catering when you get there. They put you in a wonderful Winnebago in luxury and you finish at five o'clock. It's amazing. <laughs> when you're, but when you're working on low budget, um, you know, you, you really don't have a lot of money. So you can, and you're trying to make real cinema with no money in a very short space of time. Uh, uh, and it's very, very difficult. But it was great working with Paul on that. And it's been wonderful bringing this, his script to life for Give Them Wings. It's, um, Tony's written an amazing song for it as well. Kind of, give them wings, let them fly. We've got an amazing uh, gospel choir singing it. So we've got this big feel-good song. Um, it's, uh, it's, an, it's a really, really lovely piece. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Um, it's got real peaks and troughs. There's some very, very dark moments because, you know, Paul's had some terrible things happen to him in his life. You know, he really hasn't had an easy time. But he's always come out winning. He's always come out on top. Um, so that process of, of bringing his original, as I say, it was quite depressing, the script, when I got it. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to make it into a piece of cinema that someone's going to want to see. Although people do sympathise with hardship but they, i think people want to see people win at the end and and you want to leave the cinema with a with a, with a good feeling in your belly rather than oh my god i want to kill myself so it was it was very interesting turning it from i say quite a claustrophobic rather dark drama into a, a fantastic piece of feel-good cinema which is what it is now you know so if you're if you're aiming for an autumn release what's the What's the next steps from between now and then? Well, it's it's getting it's getting Mr. Big to write the check is is the difficult one. We're very very close um, because we're shooting digitally. We're shooting on red. Yeah, I, I, I insist that we assemble edit as we go. So basically, by the end of the day, all of the footage is transcoded, which means it's put into a into a format that can be edited. And then the following morning, before we strike that set, before we break that set down. I, I have my editors on set assemble the scenes that I've shot the day before and I, I make sure that everything is properly covered. So the beauty of uh, digital cinema now is you can edit very quickly. So we'll be delivering within a, probably a month after we finish shooting, the film will be ready. Um, which is something you could never do in the old days when you got to, you have to you know you have to scan 35 mil telecine. It's a very long process. Um, obviously, a lot of the really big films take forever to finish. But I mean, I think it'll be more like a Christmas release than an autumn release. So it'll probably be um, hopefully December. It may leak into next year, okay. but I'm really hoping it doesn't. I want to get it done quick, get it done, and get it out. Is what I say. What does that when you do that sort of on on site editing, as it were, on a daily basis? How does that impact on the the ultimate edit of the movie. Well, I mean, you, 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 there'll always be changes. Things will always be be different uh, in the final edit. But it just means it makes means you know that you've got the coverage that you need. Of course, there's nothing worse. You go you go back to the edit and you go, my God, we've forgotten that bit, or we, you know, there's no reverse or something's wrong, and 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 you, you know, it can't, it just can't connect. So, I, I don't. It's not ultimately for the final edit that I do it. It's just to make damn sure that I've covered the scene properly. You know. Mm. So I mean, I guess is it would, would is it an extra cost on the edit, or is it, or is it is the potential to save money by knowing you've got all the coverage? Okay, so yeah, basically, you, so you're on set, you have what's called a DIT or a data wrangler is the person that makes sure that you know you're not losing footage because uh, 
something that does happen with digital is occasionally hard drives fail, etc., etc. So as you shoot a scene, you, you you take the mag off and you get him to, to to check it's all there and then transcode it into a format that can be uh, you can do rough assembly or offline editing with, and then we uh, say we assemble the edit as we go. Um, just to make sure that we've got, you know, we've got the scene covered properly. So, um, yeah, but the, the beauty of digital is that you can, you know, you can do that. You can literally plug and play. So it's 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 fantastic. That, that, that I mean, the, the cameras that are coming out now. I mean, I own a couple of Red Ones, which were were, were the, the forerunner of of the digital cameras, and they're shooting at uh, four and a half and five K which is twice IMAX resolution. So they, they just look amazing. One of the problems with super ultra high definition, though, is it, it's, the detail is so high that, that it's a very different beast. Makeup artists, um, you know, you could get away with murder on film because you get this kind of sheen that films gives it. But whereas digital, you can see every pore on someone's face. So it's really changed the face of... Um, uh, of cinema makeup and prosthetics, you have to be so uh, so clever with makeup now. Uh, otherwise, you get, you know, if someone's got a spot, you know they have. You know, even if you put foundation on it, you can still see they've got a big festering boil on the end of their nose. So it's a real art. Um, I've got some. I, I always take my hat off to the makeup artists on set. Um, when we shot our teaser for Iron Gate, the poor lady, wonderful, wonderful actress, but she had very bad skin, and the makeup artist worked wonders. She's she's flawless, but <laughs> but one of the problems is you're always waiting. Where is the actress? Oh, she's still in makeup. Go hurry up, you know. <laughs> Okay. So ideally, then, when when do you when do you envisage you'll start the shoot? Well, I'm hoping June. We're hoping to start shooting in June. It's, it's nice to. It's all going to be based around where Paul comes from, around Darlington, um, around the northeast. Um, so it's always it's, it's a bit it's a bit chilly up there, you know. It is indeed. So yeah, so we're hoping to shoot in slightly warmer weather because there's a lot of stuff outside. We're going to be shooting at um, two or three football grounds up there. Um, we've had some amazing uh, backing. Uh, one of our, some of our finances come from some great footballers as well, which is fantastic. They've um, are very supportive of Paul. Paul's a bit of a legend up there. He's a kind of he wrote this amazing book called Flipper's Side, and he's called Flipper because when he tries to clap, he can't. And, oh. he, and he, he sort of misses his hand. But, um, and he wrote this wonderful book, and actually it's amazing. It sells for a £1,000 on Amazon. I mean, he really is, he's, he's like the number one Darlington football fan, and he's, he's really well-known and loved up there. So, yeah, hopefully June, um, and then as soon as that finishes, we go, hopefully go into Iron Gate, and, and, and then Give Them Wings will be in post-production uh, while that's being shot. Hopefully. I mean, you can never tell because uh, things move... Uh, and, and ebb and flow trying to close finance um, I'm going out to Cannes to the film festival in a few weeks time as well because a couple of my films that I've directed have been selected out there which is good so hopefully a couple of more awards might be bagged um, as I say I'm, I'm what, have they, what have they been selected for at Cannes? Uh, just, uh, this short film so one called An Unfortunate Woman um, was there last year but it's been selected for or hopefully been selected we'll find out in the next few days but the rumour is that it has there's a the can do a disabled uh, sort of film award as well okay. um, and also a little film I shot called London Hood is out there in the short film section as well which is um, they're not I mean there's, there's no major there's no major financial remuneration for short films but they're fun to make and it, it's nice to see your work recognised you know um, 
I, I, I mean, I love going to Cannes. It's it's a very expensive, always a very expensive trip. So I tend to eat down in the little pizzeria, pizzerias in the back streets rather than going along the Quasette where it's like 50 quid for a, a can of lager, you know. No, indeed, indeed. You better go into the old town. Yeah, I will stay there. But I, I mean, it's, it's great fun. You meet a lot of great people out there. It's great for networking. Uh, and uh, indeed having a few beers as well you know well hopefully i'll see you out there i'll be there myself oh will you oh great you know i'm there from the fourth i'll be there from the 13th i think to the 24th i'll be there for pretty much the duration Blimey, that's so. the lot i'm there the 20th i'm there the 16th to the 20th <laughs> yeah i've just got so many meetings because i'm we're, we're trying to close distribution for the films as well and um uh, and i've got to stay for screenings and stuff so yeah i'm looking forward to it. it should be fun can i ask We've, about that what's what's been the challenge I mean, what, what films are you, are you looking to get distribution on? What's that for? Well, that's be for Give Them Wings. I'm, okay. a, I'm also in pre-production on an amazing film that I wrote myself, which is a, uh, it's kind of James Bond meets Mad Max on the sea. It's a pirate, modern-day pirate film. Um, and I actually own a 250-foot Swedish battleship, which I sailed to the Cannes Film Festival in 2007, I think it was. Um, we painted it matte black, put a huge skull and crossbow in it. And I, I was mad at the time. I thought, yeah, you just buy a pirate ship and sail it to Cannes and you get the money. Um, but uh, I've got some amazing footage, which I will, I'm happy to show you. <laughs> I, Please do. The, basically, the, the ship blew up on the way. We had to airlift a new engine in in a Force 10 storm in the Bay of Biscay, uh, <laughs> and this bloody ship it limped in just as all the big all the big movie moguls like Harvey Weinstein they're all flying out, and, and our ship limped around the coast and just literally everybody had left apart from a few waifs and strays and and the, and the pirate ship turned up. So I thought, how can I get some extra exposure from this? So I sailed it into the Monte Carlo Grand Prix and got escorted out at gunpoint. Um, I've actually got a little bit of footage of us getting in trouble with the harbour master there, which I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to send you. It's rather amusing. Um, so that's, that's a film we're working on. That'll be co-directed with a guy called Vic Armstrong. Vic is one of the biggest um, action directors um, ever to have lived. I mean, he was, I mean, if you Google him or look at him on IMDb, he's done so many films. As, as action and second unit and action director and he'll be directing that that's a 75 million we're doing another film called moon over india um and we've got a, a lot of them executive produced by tony so i mean these are all you know i may die before any of these get made you never know because but, no, did you, but just when you're talking when you, just i'm interested in that the challenge of getting distribution and stuff and how, how what are people what are the distributors interested in? What are they? Well, are they the, i mean it's again it's that chicken and egg it's that catch 22 it's um if you haven't got A-list talent, you won't get distribution. It's very unlikely. I mean, you will. You'll get, you know, you'll get it in the bargain bucket at Asda. But if you want to get a global theatrical release, you have to have named talent or you have to have something very, very special. Um, you know, half, half the budget um, of a film or a budget of the, uh, of the entire production is P&A, publicity and advertising, because, you know, you've got to sell that film. You've got to make people aware that it's available. Um, so it's it's a very it's a, it's it's a big challenge. I mean, with Iron Gate, we will have two or three fairly um, well known or almost A list actors on board. Mm. Um, but with with Give Them Wings, we we haven't. We've got a fantastic some great actors. We've got um, Mark Stobart who plays Paul, who ironically actually really looks quite like him. Um, uh, a guy called James Baxter, who's a great up and up and coming actor, plays Ian, his carer. Um, James has just uh, done a season with. Um, 
David Jason of, of the new Open All Hours. Um, okay. And he, uh, a wonderful actor called Bill, uh, Bill Fellows, who plays Paul's dad. Um, and there's a couple of A-list, well, I mean, not A-list, but very well-known actors that we're hoping to attach. I can't name them now in case we don't of course, get them. Of course, of course. But if they do come on board, they are really wonderful actors and, and legends. And we're in talks with them now. But it's, it's yeah, distribution, it's about, it's very, very difficult. It's, it's all about the exit strategy. Can they put it in cinemas? Will people go and see, see that film? You know, it's bums on seats. But at the end of the day, you know, however artistic we might think we're being, we are in a business, we're in the business of making money. Business of making film is about making money as well. I mean, I wish it wasn't sometimes. I just love making film for the art. I'm one of those crazy creatives. Um, and I do understand the financial side of it, but um, I kind of leave that to the, uh, product, the line producers and production accountants, ideally, you know. And what's, the, what, what's your general sense of the, um, the sort of commercial vibe around give them wings then what, what, what well your... it's just it's 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 i mean i don't know if you've seen but we're getting an enormous amount of press and we're not even in production yet because mm. it's a feel-good film it's um it's you know it's a bit of a weird thing because it's it, it, batman is a huge franchise and of course there's an amazing amount of pna but nobody really cares who batman is as long as it's batman yeah. Uh, and you know give them wings has just got this it's got this hearts and minds thing people People care about it. They care about Paul. So ultimately, it's it's slightly easier to sell than than other films, just because it, you know it's not. We're not going to say it's the, the sim, sympathy vote, but um, you know, people want to see people that have been hard done by do well. I hope. And we live in a very cruel world, but um, but yeah, it's it's been much easier to to get press for this, and and we've already got a couple of distribution offers on the table. So, uh, but a lot of those are international. So, Can is all about going and meeting the people that you're talking to on Skype and and emailing every day. It's about you know because you know if I'm dealing with people in England, I can go down the road and meet them. But if I'm talking about you know North America or European or, or worldwide distribution, it's nice to sit down and actually you know look at look the person you're dealing with in the eye, you know. Indeed. Well, look. Well, good luck with um, those 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 loose ends you've got to tie together to get the film made, and with the other dealings you're going to do with uh, Give Them Wings and the other films you're involved with. Um, and please, obviously, keep Britflix posted of uh, progress you make. We'd love to, and I'd love to speak to you after you've shot the movie. Maybe that would be fantastic. Well, you'll be, you'll be at the premiere, sir, for sure. Good man. Good man. Brilliant. Uh, All right. Yeah, well, well, no, no. So before before, before you go, Sean. Before you go, yep. one question. Obviously, I'd like to ask people is about recommending. A British movie that could be either an old British movie that's been lost in time, or a more recent movie that, because of you know the blockbusters of this world, maybe got overlooked. That you think people should give a second look, give a second chance. Well, to. I mean, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to plug my my friend Chris Bouchard and uh, Hackney's Finest. Although it's not okay. something that's been overlooked, but it's a true British film. It's got a load of unknown actors, including me in it, and it just needs... It's a great little funny piece of cinema, and it needs to be given a chance. So if anybody out there... Um, Hackney's Finest comes out in the cinemas on the 3rd of April and um, on DVD on the 13th of April. So Chris Bouchard um, and Nate Wiseman, all the guys that worked on Hackney's Finest, so I'm going to have to give that one a plug. No, I think that's a fair one, and, uh, and obviously that was where this small world that we live in coalesced and I met you at the world premiere at yeah, East End Film exactly, Festival which is exactly kind of that. 
Yeah, weird. and it's kind of taken a while. It's taken a while for for people to realise the effort that's gone into that. Um, you know, everybody worked literally for nothing on that, and it was a very, very difficult, very, very hard shoot. But it's um, but it's you know, it's it's a great little film, and um, and it's a, and you know what it is? It's a British film. It's a one hundred percent British. It really is. Indeed. Well, well, thank you for that, and thank you for your time, Sean. Brilliant. Cheers to you. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye bye. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix. Just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.